um, just want to start off, want to ask you guys a question. Um, have you ever played the if this, then this kind of game in your head? So basically, it's kind of like the book, um, if you give a mouse a cookie. Have you guys ever read that book? Like one thing is going to lead to another, except in this game that you play in your head sometimes, it's like worst case scenarios. So like if this happens, then oh my gosh, then this is going to happen. And then anyone else ever played that game? <laughs> is there specific things that, that cause you to, to do that? Like are certain worst case scenarios that immediately come to mind? Anytime Jason doesn't answer the phone. Okay. All right. And then does it just tumult it's after that? Automatically got no car accident. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's me planning a funeral. Oh my God. What am I going to do? I'm not even kidding you. You're like next level of this game. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, anyone else? Mine usually involves some kind of car crash, honestly, too. So, but usually it's while I'm driving in the car it's and Craig is driving. Phone, it's like a normal time. Like every morning, I call him when I'm on my way to work, and he's already supposed to be at work. Ah, uh huh. If he doesn't answer his phone, then he got in the car. Okay. Oh gotcha. I just started walking. Um, like sometimes I'll drop him off at the mailbox, and he walks down the road to our house by himself. Yeah. And I'm always like. They're not looking for you. Look for the cars. And it's that 10 minutes is treacherous. Yes. Every single time. Yes. And if he doesn't get home in that a lot of time, I'm like out on the desk screaming like a banshee. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else? Um, I was going to say, probably when I think about like college and my future and stuff, like mm. if I get one bad grade, like B's, I'm, I'm a perfectionist, so when I get a B, I get really anxious. So mm -hmm. if I get a B, then I'm not going to get into a good college. And if I don't get into a good college, I won't have a future. And if I don't have, yeah, it just keeps smiling. You do you end being homeless? Yeah. No, I'm not even kidding. I'm not even kidding. Yesterday, I'm like, I'm going to be homeless. I just want to go on record that that's not coming from my Yeah, no, I know. It's definitely self pressure there. So um, my daughter, Shelby, for those of you guys who don't know, she is married to a Bolivian, and they have been trying to get his mom to come here for literally, they've been married almost eight years, and the visa is not working for his mom, and um, basically because she doesn't have any money. Um, so to remedy that, he has an aunt who's Bolivian who lived in Switzerland for a long time who started a tequila factory in Mexico. It's a long story. If you knew her, you'd be like, uh-huh. Um, anyway. <laughs> And so, um, so they decided it would be a good thing to, for them to meet in Mexico. But they weren't staying like on a resort. I'm like, okay, Mexico's fine. It's near Cancun. It wasn't Cancun, just somewhere close. Okay, that's fine. They'll be on a resort. It'll be safe, you know. Then she told me, no, we're actually staying with the aunt in the city. And I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, worst case scenario, down to like pretty much planning funerals or going to the FBI to get them back from Mexico. So I literally called her and said, could you just please, I've looked up the, assemb uh, the um, what's the embassy. embassy there, I was going to say assembly. I've looked up the embassy number. Could you please carry it with you? <laughs> so anyway, they, they're down there right now. They've been sending pictures. They're having a blast. It's safe. So it's all good. But I tend to be an if, then, then this kind of person, and it never ends well. So um, one thing that, you know, when we play those games in our head, we, our anxiety can work up to these like high, like crazy things that we begin to think of. And um, we're going to um, read about Moses today, who had a moment of this. Um, first, I want to read you this quote. I thought this was such a good quote from the book. 
It said, um, anxiety can lead us to focus on wrong things. And that is definitely what happens to Moses this, this um, lesson. We can focus on the little things. And by the way, while I'm reading this, you can turn to Exodus chapter 3. Imagine that you're standing in the middle of a road, and you're on a hill, and a speeding car is coming right towards you. Now, the normal fear response would be to, um, to fear the imminent danger and to respond by getting out of the way. The best response to that situation would be for your legs to start moving out of the path of that car. But what if you focused on some of the smaller worries? What if you play the if-then, then-this kind of game in your head? Hold on. What are you going to do if your insurance doesn't cover the hospital bill? (laughs) If you dive out of the way and you lose your phone, who's going to call the police? Please do not ruin my favorite jeans. (laughs) So sometimes it can be really ridiculous, but it says when a car is about to hit you, if you don't have time, you don't have time for anxiety. You get out of the way of danger. You don't worry about insurance or cell phone replacement. And Moses had a little bit of a tendency in this story that we're going to read today to focus on some things that were very, very small when he really didn't need to. He definitely played the if-then-then-this game. So let's um, turn to Exodus 3, and we're going to start um, reading in verse 1. But before we do, I think a lot of us are probably kind of familiar with Moses' story, but let's just give a little background to where we're at in this point of the story. We all know Moses is the one that God chosen and used to lead the children of Israel out of their captivity in Egypt. Um, But he has a huge story before that actually happens, and we're kind of in the middle of that huge story in this chapter. So the background where he is at right now, um, he had been raised in the palace of the pharaoh of Egypt. Um, We won't go into a lot of details of how that happened, but it's an amazing story. Um, And then one day he realizes he is actually a Hebrew living in the palace. He's not really related to the Pharaoh. And he begins to notice that the children of Israel, who he now recognizes as his relatives, are really being uh, mistreated. And um, at one point he sees a guard, an Egyptian guard, beating um, an Israelite. And he is furious over it, so furious that he strikes the guard and kills him kills him. I cannot talk this morning. He kills him. And so um, he's now a murderer and he's wanted. And so he flees out into the desert and he lives out there for a long, long time. And this guy who had been raised in the palace. And think, think about that for a moment. If you are the president's kid and you got life real cushy, you're going to be really confident. You're going to go places caring I'm the president's kid, you know, kind of mentality. Well, he goes from that to living out in the middle of the desert. He does meet a family who are herders out there. He marries one of their daughters, and um, they're very good people, and he becomes basically a sheep and goat herder. (laughs) So he went from wah to mm. So really, really pretty quick. And um, and I think, you know, I really got to thinking about the mentality of of what that kind of can do to somebody. So, and... He obviously was very frightened enough to leave his entire life, which I always looked of that life in, in um, Egypt, and I think, why did he run? I mean, his, rel- his relative, adoptive relative, is the big guy. He could probably get him out of that murder rap, but Moses takes off and he runs. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So that is where we're starting our story today. And um, he's out in the middle of the desert, and he's herding his flock. So let's start in verse 1. <clears throat> and we're going to read uh, chapter one, uh, 3, verse 1 through 6 to start us off. 
Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in blazing fire from the midst of the bush. By the way, when it says angel of the Lord, think Jesus in the Old Testament. It's a way of describing him. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush, and he said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here, here I am. And then he said, do do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He He said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And then Moses hid his face, and he was afraid of God. Excuse me. So, all right, so let's just kind of walk through the story a little bit and talk about the circumstances. First of all, um, what does Moses see as he's out there herding? Yep, a burning bush. And what's odd about a burning bush? Because you might see that in the desert. Yeah, exactly. Sorry about that. Um, All right, and so what does God say to him? And be real specific, like exactly what are, what are the words that God uses? He calls them by name. Okay. What else? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, um, can we draw conclusions from how Mo- how Moses might have felt about this so far in the story? What do we? What are some clues that we can see of his response? True. True. It would have been probably frightening. Like, yes, yes. Terrifying. Very much so. And the burning bush alone thing would yeah. be like shocking for sure. And so. Yes. God of your father, but he didn't know his father. True. He probably was beginning to be familiar <laughs> with the the tradition and the stories a little bit, but yeah, probably very limited. But I would he say. Because was um, his father-in-law wasn't. Was he? No, I don't or think so. Right? Or was he? he was. He's Midian. But they I feel like they had some kind of a well, either way, he does know his oh, we're gonna off track, but he doesn't no no no, that's a good point though. He does know his family, right? I'm trying to think about that. That's why he was defending that that person he killed because he was kind of I think it was just that that was his that was his people, like his heritage. But he they, was but raised no, by his mother. Yeah, he was. She nursed so him. I'm and sure that she must have uh, taught him. I think so, yeah. So he was familiar with it at least. But still, either way. Was it his mother or his sister? His mother. It, his mother, mother. Okay. yeah. And he's familiar with his sister and brother because later on it talks about your brother Aaron's okay. coming. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Either way, though, I think that um, – he definitely would be familiar with some of these stories, but not like as in depth probably as you know somebody had been raised in it. And I said it's a sidetrack, but it's not a bad thing. Like sometimes when we're reading the Bible, we might get off on something that might feel like a little sidetrack, but it's good to pick those part and like we all kind of discussed and figured, and that's actually a great thing. So awesome. Okay, so um, would you say that he is um, afraid at this point? Is that a fair thing to say? That's what my text. Okay. It, yeah, it clearly actually says he's afraid, yeah. so afraid that he does what? He hides his face. Um, I guess I would ask, though, what kind of fear 
does this seem to be? Because are there different kinds of fear? Is this an anxiety fear at this point? Because I said, you know, remember I, I said the last couple of weeks, like, we can call it worry, fear, anxiety, whatever. It's all the same. I mean, I thought it was a shame. Shame. Yeah. That's okay. Okay. Because of the whole idea of the holiness thing. Or that he's murdered somebody. Okay. So recognizing that he's a sinner. Yeah. yeah. It very much so brings back um, kind of a similarity to um, Isaiah 6, um, where Isaiah goes into the temple and the Lord, you know, appears and he is like, I am undone because I am a sinner, basically, you know, living amongst a very sinful people. And this was a priest. Well, so. that's one of the original, I mean, that's one of the first things that happened after the fall was that they hid. They hid them. Yeah, exactly. Very much so. Okay. Very much so. Um, I, I did want to differentiate in this. I don't think at this point there is, it is an like, I'm worried or anxious kind of fear. I think it's like a holy fear. And there is a difference, and it immediately brought back in my mind um, one of my absolute favorite, favorite books I've read so many times, um, even though it's a kid's book, um, The uh, Chronicles of Narnia. And I wrote down a quote, and ironically, um, the speaker at the women's retreat read this exact same quote, so maybe that's why it's fresh in my mind. But it fits so so good, talking about Aslan, the symbol of God. Um, Lucy, or the beaver says, Aslan is a lion, the great lion. And Lucy says, really? I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? And the beaver said, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. So the fear of God is something we should all have. It's not the same thing as like an anxiety or an anxiousness or a worrisome. It is that like, oh my goodness, I don't even deserve to be standing in the presence of this good, good God and I do shake in my boots over it. And we should all have that fear. That is something. So I just wanted to differentiate because that's not part of, of his moment or time period of anxiousness here. Okay. Um, one of the things that I thought was really, really interesting, look back up in verse 4. Jenny said that he calls him by name. Notice that he says, Moses, Moses. Moses is not deaf. He didn't need to say it twice. There's those little tiny little intricacies in the Bible where it's like, we have to remember this is God breathed, God inspired. Like this is God's word to us and everything has a purpose. So this is a very cultural purpose, but I think it says a lot about what God's trying to get across to us. In Old Testament um, Bible times, ancient times, when they would say somebody's name twice, it was like, oh, kind of like us saying, oh, dear, I love you kind of thing. It's like, you're my friend, and I have like an affection for you. And so um, sometimes it's so easy to miss those little things, but always know when you see something like that, it's like there's a purpose for that. Might not always understand it, but there is a purpose. And so why, did, why do you think he chose God not to just say Moses? I mean, that would have done it. But he chooses this particular cultural little thing here. What do you think some of the reasons God might have had for that? This is just speculation, of course. To put him at ease. Okay. Mm-hmm. He's already terrified of the bush, so he probably doesn't want to be like Moses. <laughs> okay. Yep. Anything else? Remember that God, no, like God's got this plan. He's this moment is orchestrated by him. He has this whole thing set up. And so God knows what he's about to ask of Moses and <clears throat> set aside the burning bush and the holy thing. Even God knows, yeah, Moses actually is going to be like scared, worried, 
anxious for real, not like just the fear of God. It's, it's coming because of what I'm asking him. And so it's almost like he pads it a little bit. And we'll come back to that thought, but hold that thought in your head for a moment. <clears throat> oh, yeah, like a, yeah, this was not one of those moments where he was like, he knew he was in trouble. It was a, all right, so um, turn to Exodus 3, verse 7 and 12, through 12. Could somebody read that for us? Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians of the Egyptians and led them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites. Oh, I'm sorry. I gave you all the hard names. Sorry. (laughs) Parasites. Hivites and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me. And I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. You said the 12, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you, and this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. Okay, awesome. And thank you, Emma. And um, Emma, you did a fabulous job. That's like the dreaded thing for everybody when you have to like read all those names. I was just like zip through them. I don't care if I mispronounce them. Y'all know what I mean. So (laughs) as you're reading along. So you did really good on that. Thank you. Okay, so so God comes up with this plan for delivering Israel. Obviously, he's had this plan. Guys, he's had this plan from the beginning of the foundations of the world and before. He knew how this was going to lay out. He put Moses in the circumstances that he's in because he knew he was going to use Moses in this way. And so God's got this all figured out. Moses, on the other hand, being human, is like, what? (laughs) So, all right, so what is Moses' basic question to God here? And by all means, put it in your own words so we can all kind of relate to it. What does he ask God? Yeah, why me? And what is what do you think his reasoning is? What is his why is he asking that question? What makes him so Okay. Okay, yeah. What'd you say? Worry that he can't do it. Yeah, very much so. And I think we've we've probably all been in that situation where we've we're faced to do something. It might not be like God appearing in a burning bush. It might not even be something that God is calling you to do, although it could be. But it could just be a simple thing like in life that you find big and scary and really, really overwhelming. Am I the only one that feels that way or if we've all been there? And so there is that moment of like panic, like I can't do this, you know? I can't do this. I can't function that way. I just, it's not in me. And so um, so Moses feels that way. He says, uh, why? What? What? Not me. How? Who am I? He knows how the Israelites knew him. Like in the chapter before, it talks about he was out in the street and, and somebody said, are you going to kill me too? Yes. One of the Israelites said that. So like there's probably this fear, like my own people don't even respect me or they're afraid of me or whatever that Exactly. Yes, absolutely. And Pharaoh is not accepting him anymore either because he, you know, he hit the road, murdered somebody and then hit the road. So yeah, all of these things. It probably definitely was a moment of a car is coming at you and you're thinking of "Mm, all these things, you know, just running through all the scenarios. 
Um, I'm sure Moses was running through those scenarios, so he's wondering how his new jeans are going to stay nice. <laughs> so, okay, so, and what, um, what is God's answer to that? Say again. Okay, yep, certainly I will be with you. And I just thought that really, really stuck out because um, I don't care what the fear is. Um, that is, I told you I highlight things, you know, in a certain color if I need to use it to, you know, preach the truth to myself. This is definitely a, high, a highlight-worthy section here. God's answer to our fears, our worries, our anxiety is certainly like that's for sure, without a doubt. Don't even think about it again. Certainly, I will go with you. If I'm asking you to do something, if I put you in a situation in your life where you need to do something, I am going to go with you. And that's Sometimes we can read that um, kind of like the I'll never leave you or forsake you verse in Hebrews. Um, we can read that in Christianese and just let it go and pass. You know what I mean? But it's like, no, that's something to stop and really, really think about. God's answer for every single one of our worries, and I am preaching to myself, and our fears and our anxiety is certainly I will go with you. That's super, super powerful. God's promise to him, he said, and this will be a sign for you that I've sent you. And the sign is after he obeys. Yes, I know, exactly. Yes, exactly. When you're all done, you're going to worship at that mountain. Like, wait, couldn't I have something that you show before? Maybe he's thinking, like, the burning bush should be should do it for you, Moses. <laughs> that should be your sign. All right, so uh, could we read verse 13 and 14? Would somebody read that, please? Then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Okay. And this is another one of those little like nuggets of like, we've heard that phrase over and over again. We can certainly sometimes, we know this story. We can kind of, you know, we've all seen, you know, the Ten Commandments on TV. We know what this, how this goes, but it's like let's take a moment to really like absorb it and personalize it in our life, because Moses is yes a great man of God and God certainly used him, but he's human just like us, and he's having a moment of pure anxiousness, panic. Yes, I would say yes. He might his heart probably was palpitating. He was probably having a hard time breathing. You know. Um, and I just want to clarify that because, you know, <clears throat> I think I have, it, in the last two weeks, I have been looking at these Old Testament stories, and then I've been thinking about how we handle things in a modern time. Um, the word anxiety, even, um, the title of the book, has become a thing in our minds that we picture one thing. Um, we picture it, like, as an identity, as something that we're just, like, a lifetime of struggle, and sometimes it can be. But um, also do note that just because we have moments of anxiety does not mean that we have to live in anxiety. Like Moses had a moment of anxiety, and God is so gracious to him, and God wants to be gracious to us and to lead us through those moments. Okay, so, um, so basically, sorry, I lost my place here. So Moses asks him basically what? What is he saying to him? Kind of, a little bit. I mean, yeah, to a certain degree. Moses is definitely playing that, like, if this, then then this kind of game in his head, right? 
I'm going to say this, and then they're going to say this, and then this is going to happen, you know. And he's probably playing it to the nth degree where at some point he's dead because <laughs> somebody's killed him because, you know, either Pharaoh or the children of Israel. And so um, when he says to him, you know, um, who, who am I telling is sending me, he's saying, like, I don't have anything in it of myself. I'm a nobody at this point. I'm herding sheep out in the desert, for goodness sakes. I'm, I'm not in one of those societies or the other. I'm no longer an Egyptian. I'm, no, I'm not really a, a child of Israel yet. I'm like just kind of in this leeway in between. And so God says to him, you're going to tell him, I am who I am. And I think this is um, so powerful. Obviously, we know this is a powerful name of God. Um, but let's kind of think about it for a moment and how it applies to this situation. So I looked up um, the name I am who I am. It is the Hebrew word. I thought this was really weird. It's ha-yah, which I thought I wanted to say yee-haw when I read it, but I didn't. Okay. <laughs> so it means to exist, to be, to be self-existent, to be eternal, self-sufficient, unchanged, and it is the name that declares that God is present. And I love, love that. It also kind of denotes that he is the one and only necessary being. Think about that. He is the one and only necessary being. And yet we cannot survive without him. So it's like he's necessary for our survival, but he doesn't need us at all. And so what God is saying is that, I am here for you, I am present with you, I'm walking through you with this, and I am what you need. You know that song, um, he's, the cha- he's the Chain Breaker, you know the song I'm talking about? And it kind of goes through that. You need healing, he's the healer. I don't know all the lyrics, you probably know. I just heard Miracle Worker. Miracle Worker, yeah, okay, yeah. So you need a miracle, he's the miracle. There we go. So whatever we have a need for, and of course we're not talking like Cadillacs or, you know, not those kind of needs, but like truly like what is your need right now? What is your need when you're in the moment of being anxious or worrisome? Because God is that that need maker or that need uh, meter, filler. There we go. He is the one. I got chain breaker in, in my head. Um, God is that one. So I think that's something for us to ask ourselves in a moment. And truly, like, if we want to, like, really be able to overcome and to walk in peace in our lives in the moment that we feel most anxious, we might have a zillion reasons, kind of like the lady standing there with the car about to hit her, of, you know, she's worried about this and this and this and this. But those are all, like, small, not important things. We're kind of like that in a moment of panic or anxiousness. We're like so worried about this, 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 and we're thinking and we're trying to figure out how to fix things and we're trying to fix it ourselves and we're trying to work through it. But the truth is, is that like we really just need to ask ourselves, what do I need right now? What is going to truly give me peace? And we never want to just like throw out, you know, platitudes. We don't want to just, you know, say, oh, I need, I need truth. I need God. I need Jesus, the Sunday school answer. No, like truly, what do you need and really think it through because Jesus is what we need in those moments. That's not something to take lightly. So God tells him, I am that I am. What do you need? And I, you know, I think it's an interesting thing when we think about anxiety. Um, anxiety always tells us that we are alone. You know what I mean? Again, that thought process in our head, that little game we're playing in our head, we're trying to figure things out. 
It always tells us we are alone and we have to figure it out. And I think that's kind of how Moses was thinking when he was playing that game in his head. I'm going to say this, and then they're going to say this, and then he's just, and he's letting all those thoughts, internal thoughts, spew out. And when anxiety says you're alone and you have to figure out how to solve the problem, God's saying, no, I am. I am certainly going to be with you, and I am what you need to solve whatever problem you have. I am here. And that's so powerful. That's so peace-inducing, definitely. And the other thing I was thinking about this is that, um, you know, I am that I am is a name of God, literally. It is one of his names. You know, throughout the Old Testament, there's lots and lots of names that God is called. Um, and each name gives the characteristic of God, like part of his character. So, you know, it would be like, us, instead of calling Danette, we'd just say, oh, she's so sweet. Or, you know, Candace, oh, the bubbly one. You know, it'd be like that, like the character of them. Um, and so God, when Moses says, who am I supposed to tell him that sent me? God doesn't just say his, like, name, George, or, you know, whatever, like we would introduce ourselves. Um, he, like, literally gives him his character. I am a person that faithfully stays with you, and I meet every need that you have. That's, that's really powerful. Okay, so um, some conclusions, or Moses' conclusion, actually. A couple little things I thought instead of going through each, um, well, flip over to Exodus 4. I lied. We're going to actually go through a scripture. <laughs> um, in Exodus 4, I believe it's verses, let's see, I didn't write down the verse because I was going to talk about it. Oh, yeah. As soon as God says that and he, um, you know, the I am that I am part, then Moses right away, though, it's not like it just like, it's not a magical pill. It's not something that instantly drives your, you know, your worry or your fear or your anxiety away. Sometimes it is a process and we go back to God with more arguments. And so Moses says that in verse one, Moses says, but what if they don't believe me or they don't listen to what I say? For they might say the Lord has not appeared to you. And then the Lord gives them these signs, okay? He gives them three signs in the next couple of verses. One, he says, that walking stick you have in your hand, throw it down on the ground. Moses throws it down to the ground, and it turns to a snake. That ever, like, to you, like, go, huh, that's weird. Why did he choose that, you know? And then he says, now go pick it up. And he picks it up again, and it's back to the stick, okay? And then uh, the next sign was, looking really quick here. Oh, he says, put your hand in your bosom, in, like right here in your coat. He d Moses does that. I, love, I do love how Moses obeyed God, even though he was fearful. Bring your hand out. He brings his hand out. It's completely covered in leprosy. And so talk about fear inducing. And so then he says, put your hand back. He puts it back, and it's the leprosy brings it back out. It's gone. Okay, and then he said, and um, those are the signs. Those are the signs that you can show them. And if they don't believe that, then you can go get water from the Nile and pour it out, and it'll turn to blood. So it's not like God gave him those signs like as magic tricks, because we do kind of feel like they have that magic trick kind of feel to them. Um, I think what God is saying to Moses is, again, I'm saying, I am who I am, and certainly I will go with you. You are not going alone. The one who has all the power all the necessary power is walking with you. You're not the one doing magic tricks. These are like showing my power because I am with you. And so God's so merciful and so kind. He knew how Moses was going to react. 
God is merciful and kind with us. He understands our weaknesses. One of my all-time favorite verses in the Bible is in Psalms. I can't tell you which Psalm, but it says, God knows that we are made of but dust. In other words, he definitely understands our human frailty. And he understands um, our emotions going crazy sometimes and working ourselves into a panic. He understands that, and he's not like, get over it. That isn't God's attitude. He could have said to Moses, did you not hear what I just said in chapter 3, Moses? (laughs) I just said, I am, goes with you. Now get over it and walk in faith. But he doesn't. Instead, he gives him yet another example of God's power and God being with him. And so I told you to kind of keep in mind um, back in chapter 3, that Moses, Moses thing. I think that's so important because God starts off this whole very scary conversation knowing that Moses is going to be worried and fearful. And he says, I'm your friend. It's okay, friend. I'll walk through this with you. I'm going to go through this with you. And again, anxiety says to us, you are alone and you have to figure out how to solve this problem. And God says, no, I am the great I am, and I walk with you through this. And I think that's a really important thing. So so what ends up happening? So Moses does go to Pharaoh. We all know this part. He does speak to him. We know that there's Pharaoh doesn't listen to him. God does send his power through Moses. There are plagues that come on the Egyptians. And then we do know that God does use Moses to um, lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. Um, if you will, turn to Exodus 14. It's kind of towards the end of the story of their escape from Egypt. Chapter 14, would somebody read 10 through 11? Or excuse me, 10 through 12. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us? In bringing us out of Egypt. Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the wilderness. Okay. So in these verses, now we have like, remember the children of Israel have seen all the plagues that God sent. He saw They saw, they walked through the Passover and God delivering them from the angel of death. They've seen it all. And yet we get to this very scary part where, it looks like the Egyptians have come after them. They've, they're escaping out of Egypt. They're at the Red Sea. And here come the Egyptians to take us back. And they begin to play the if-then-then-this kind of thing. Like, in their heads, they're like, why are we here? Have you brought us out here to die? Like, we should have just stayed in Egypt. You know, there's this, like, going through their head. It feels very chaotic, doesn't it? That, like, ah. And yet Moses says to them, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Look at verse 13. Moses says to the people, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish today. The Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. Wow, look at how the Lord has brought Moses through in this situation to where now he is the one ministering faith to the other people. And I think that's something really for us to think about because um, I should have written down the scripture. There's a scripture in, in Corinthians that talks about the things that we go through are not by accident. The Lord brings us through even the most difficult things so that we can be a comfort and minister to others. And so, you know, when you're in a moment of worry and panic and fear, um, 
one, it's not going to last forever. It can just be a season that you work through and know that the Lord is going to use you to build up the faith of others who are struggling in that area. Um, it used to be, I really felt like, you know, gosh, like I, I'm married to a husband who does not get afraid of anything. He does not worry. He's just like chill. And I would always be like, why do I struggle? Why does my mind always go to worst case scenarios? Why do I always, you know? And I really um, was a little ashamed to even admit that that was something that I struggle with at times. And, um, and then I just realized like, you know what? The Lord wants to use that. Like I'm just made of dust. Man, I got issues, you know? He's got other issues, <laughs> just where he is and his. And so, um, and so it's like, I, God wants to use that in our lives. And so recognize our weaknesses, our things that we struggle with as something that God wants to use. So um, in closing, just can you t- turn to Psalm 90? And I do apologize because I feel like I didn't have a lot of question questions to encourage discussion today. It was kind of... Um, I think it was one of those stories where you kind of sit back and kind of watch it all played out, walk through it, and recognize what God is doing. And I think definitely there are things we can apply to our lives. Um, Talking, and so I'm not getting to it. Okay. Yeah. Moses' story is God also equips us. You know, Moses felt very insecure about not being able to speak plainly. Yes. And that's why, so in our lives, we have friends come alongside that he sent Aaron with Moses to help. Yes. And so I, I love that. Very... That really is, Anne. I love that. I love that idea of brothers and sisters coming alongside us to help. That's awesome. That's wonderful. Anyone else have any other comments or any um, questions or comments? Yes. Okay, so when we were looking at chapter four, mm-hmm. one thing that I thought was kind of neat was it's almost like a mini gospel with the three sons. Okay. Because you got the snake, you've got the appearance, and then the removal of the leprosy. Mm. And then you have the blood. Mm. Oh, you know, gosh. It's the vessel through which um, you know, he's sharing this message. Yes. And God is the provider. And it's just like, I just couldn't help noticing some of the language. I love that. That's when he had to have faith and he had to, you know, That's so awesome. I love that. Love that, Rana. That's awesome. Wednesday nights, um, I've got a little group that's doing um, a Bible study. We're going through the covenants of the Old Testament. And so we're kind of in the Old Testament. And we keep, we've been talking about how the Old Testament whispers the name of Jesus. And that's a great example of it. It's like, you see those things, and it's like, this is coming, and his name is Jesus. <laughs> you know, I love that. The gospel preached. That's awesome. Anyone else have anything? I have had something that I found because I'm reading John right now, mm-hmm. um, and I'm trying to memorize it. And in Exodus 3, where it said, I am who I am, mm-hmm. in John 4:26, Jesus says, I, the one speaking to you, am he. I just thought that's so cool because how you said, like, that's how they mentioned um, Jesus was the angel the angel of the Lord, mm-hmm. like that's also connecting it to the New Testament, so like it connects, yes. and it's just so cool. That is awesome. That is very awesome. Anybody else? I love all this insight. That's great. All right. Well, let's um let's close in Psalm 90, if you will. We're just going to read the first two verses. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. 
before the mountains were born or you gave birth to the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting you are god i love that it speaks of the generations thing because obviously this is someone who has seen god's faithfulness that he is who he says he is that his character is a good god all-powerful never changing and he's passing that on to future generations saying hey i've walked through this and i know that i know that i know that god is a good god i shared last week about that song you know all my life you have been faithful i have walked about christ just even saying the line you have been so faithful and i have walked through those steps and have further steps to walk where you prove your faithfulness and your trustworthiness god is so trustworthy he is our i am that i am and he walks with us and um this actually this song is written by moses and i just thought that was a cool thing it's like he walked through the fear he walked through that season of feeling anxious like i can't do this i don't have what it takes i have failures that i can't can't do and god said his answer to moses's fear was certainly i will walk with you i will go with you and i am the i am so whatever you need i'm going to meet that need and this is moses saying generations to generations let me tell you god is so trustworthy so faithful to us so any other questions or comments we're getting out we're actually getting out early really that's interesting only psalm associated with Moses. Interesting. Hmm. Where does it say that in the notes online? <laughs> the study notes. Okay. Huh, that's interesting. Um, it says it's the oldest of the psalms. That does make sense. That would make sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, as we go today and we go about our week here, um, thinking about moments that may arise um, where we are anxious or fearful or worrying about something, um, can I just ask us to stop for a moment, first of all, and just say, what is the need that I have right now? What do I need to give me peace? And then let's look to the great I am, because he is, he, de- he is definitely the need meter. And let us remember his words that are just so small, but yet so comforting. Certainly, I will go with you. I, I've always, my kids, every um, day when they would leave for school, I've always told them, shine brightly for Jesus. And um, for whatever reason, this year, for somebody's like, yes, she does. Um, for whatever reason, um, this year, I have just had it in my mind, this importance of telling Sophia she um, leaves in the morning that Jesus walks the halls with you certainly he goes with us he walks the halls with us and so um let's just remember i mean obviously we're not in school some of us are but let's remember that he's walking our halls and then he is with us as we go so would somebody like to close in prayer okay heavenly father thank you that you see the intricate details of our lives and you are well acquainted with it nothing catches you by surprise. I thank you that you go with us um, through the valleys, through the mountains. Um, you're there. And I, I pray that this week as we go about um, in the circumstances of our, our days and our weeks, I pray that we would remember that and cling to you when things are hard, when we're worried about things, when, we're, when our anxiety is overwhelming us, that we would just cling to you. I pray that you would prepare our hearts for worship this morning.